Oh, good morning or afternoon, everyone. It is uh, 1 p.m. East Coast time, Wednesday, March 4th. Sorry, I got something in my eye. 2015, of course, it starts right before the podcast starts, right? Uh, this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Welcome. Thank you for joining me. Um, today on the docket, let's see, we have uh, Rousey versus Zingano talk, potential Rousey versus... Um, Cyborg talk. We have UFC 184 results. We have Rampage versus um, Bellator. How could I forget, of course? Uh, and then whatever else you want to talk about, your questions, your comments, all that will dictate what we discuss here today. Uh, best way to do that, of course, is on MMAfighting.com. As you know, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. You may also email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. And um, oh, yeah. If you're watching this now, give it a thumbs up. Give it a thumbs up. My knuckles are still banged up, but give it a thumbs up and then uh, <clears throat> let everyone know you're watching. So, like, get on social media and whatever preferred social media medium you use, um, get the word out through there Facebook, Twitter, or whatever else the case may be. All right. Um, so, we shall now move directly to the live chat. I have to make one announcement that I promised someone in the comments on the YouTube video of last week's chat, someone had asked last week about why is it that when people have, or two fighters have trilogy fights, there seems to be a trend where the one who wins the second one also wins the third one. And I had made the point, which I still think stands, which is that the person who wins in the second one is the one who is able to make the correction back to the norm. It's typically a case where sometimes the one who loses in the first is often surprised or unprepared for something that they have the skills for, but if they prepare properly and when they do, you sort of see that case. The best example of that, of course, would be um, Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture, right? Uh, but there are other ones too. But I had mentioned, uh, strangely, I had mentioned Chandler versus Alvarez, realizing that they were supposed to have probably fought a third time, but they only fought uh, twice. And then there were the, if there was a third fight, it, it was Chandler versus Brooks, which is not the same since it's the first fight. So uh, my brain was fried. I blame the uh, diet barks. This stuff is so gross. Um, so there you have it. I definitely botched that. I have to make a note of it up front, and then we can proceed with the rest of this chat. Apologies, but the point still stands. Um, but that's just a poor example to use, obviously, since there weren't three fights. Okay. Now that I have my idiocy out of the way, let's begin with the chat. All right, first question, or comment, rather. Thoughts on the UFC 185 card, which is not this weekend, but the following. So, knock on wood, we're not too far away if these guys can just stay healthy a little bit longer. If they can just get past the last round of hard sparring they should and not get the flu. It should be okay. Main card, Anthony Pettis versus Rafael Dos Anjos. Nothing wrong with that. Carla Esparza versus Joanna Yajacek. Uh, Perfect. Hendricks versus Brown. Awesome. Roy Nelson versus Overeem. Uh, fun in its own way. Carriasso versus Cejudo. Uh, Fact-finding mission about Cejudo. Pearson versus Stout. It's a good fight just to put on Fox Sports 1. Ultimately not of uh, massive significance. Elias Theodoru versus Roger uh, Narvaez. His name is hard to pronounce, the last one. Um, relevant as far as uh, Elias, maybe. Uh, Derek Cruikshank versus Benil Dariush. That's an important one. Jared Rochelle versus Josh Copeland. I don't really care about that. Sergio Pettis gets back to action <clears throat> against Ryan Benoit, or Benoit, however you pronounce it. Um, 
good for Pettis to get back to action. Jake Lindsay takes on Joseph Duffy. Duffy, the last man to beat McGregor, so it'll be interesting to see where he's at. He's actually a very good prospect. And maybe the most slept-on fight on the whole card, Larissa Pacheco, top female prospect out of Brazil, taking on Jermaine Durandami, uh, who obviously has a pedigree in kickboxing that we know of. Um, and uh, I think he's had some injury woes, but is back to action. So the card is great. Um, uh, not amazing, but certainly on the pay-per-view, they did it right. If they can just stay healthy, it looks okay. Um, fair amount of fights on the prelim card I don't particularly care about, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's kick off. In terms of the card being stacked the way it is, though, I like that it opens up with Cejudo getting some shine on the early portion of the pay-per-view, the Olympic gold medalist, finally graduating to a platform where they can really tell a storyline about him. I mean, I know he fought on, what he fought on the Fox card before. Where was he? I think he was on the prelim portion, though, if I'm not mistaken, because of his weight issues. Let's see real quick, like. Yeah, so he fought Dustin Kimura at the last Fox show, or maybe two Fox shows ago. Yeah, that was definitely on the prelim card. So he's graduated not just to a main card, but to a pay-per-view card. Um, that's a lot of benefit for him and for the UFC, if he can just stay on the straight and narrow in terms of his weight. Um, that's important, and they go to a heavyweight bout. That two sluggers, two guys with a notable name, Hendricks, former champion versus Brown, the fan favorite, and then two title fights. So that is a great way to kick off a pay or to, to create a pay-per-view. Give us two title fights, vary the weight classes, vary the uh, stakes, give us some rising prospects in Cejudo, give us some veterans uh, in Overeem and Nelson, give us bangers, give us guys who are more complete. Um, not a lot to dislike about that pay-per-view main card. Pretty great. But again, everyone's like, oh, a card down the road is going to suck. I don't care if a fight pass card down the road sucks. I don't. I would much rather have pay-per-view events that were stacked. It's just so much more fun. All right. Well, the way the UFC has been matchmaking 2015 is Rousey Cyborg at 140 a possibility. Everything is a possibility. It just It's hard to understand the likelihood or gauge, rather, I should say, the likelihood of how possible this is. There's a lot of hurdles. I don't find uh, – I was at the UFC, I think, 172, 173. I can't remember which one it was anymore. I think it was 172, the one in Baltimore, Jones versus Teixeira. I was there when White was expressing concerns about bringing her on because of her PED pass and so forth. And at the time, I thought that was pretty relevant. But given how prevalent the problem is, singling her out seems a bit uh, bizarre. So I don't know that I would buy that as an excuse anymore. But um, there's not a clear, obvious solution except to just bank on Cyborg losing and then make a catchweight fight or something like that. Because the problem is, what do you do with Cyborg after the fight, particularly if she wins? If she wins, can she continuously make 135? I have my doubts. I really do. Um, do you just make a Chad Dundas over on the... Um, Coming event podcast and sort of wondered, hey, maybe you just make a 145 pound division. You don't really make a division. You just make women for Cyborg to fight so you can keep her active and therefore you can have, make these super fights. I don't think that's the worst idea. Um, you would have to strip mine Invicta of yet more of what they have, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, I, I just find the idea of, here's what I think. I, if she can make 135, great, but I don't know what kind of, if, A, I don't think she can make it. And if I'm wrong about her making it, I really am very skeptical of what she'll be at 135. So to me, it's like if we're going to have to get this fight made at 135 and she looks like death at 135, then I don't really care to see it. I'd like to see a cyborg capable of uh, doing things, not one hampered by the, the weight cut because 
she was in a disadvantageous position at the negotiating table. But part of the reason why we're here is not just that we have this um, impasse over weight classes, it's that UFC titles actually mean something, right? I mean, like Pacquiao and Mayweather are fighting for three different belts. I think WBC, WBA, and WBO, if I'm not mistaken, but that could be wrong, and which sort of, you know, illuminates exactly what I'm talking about here. But like Pacquiao was able to jump up from like junior welterweight all the way up to junior middleweight and, you know, fighting for 141 or I mean, he fought lower than that, but I mean more recently and then fighting 147 and, and I think he was like 150 against Margarito. Um, or maybe he was slightly less than that and Margarito was 150. But the point being was he's been fighting at a, at a fairly wide range. And he's been fighting for titles too, but it didn't matter. The, the, there, but there is a certain sanctity to a UFC belt that um, puts boundaries on ways in which you can use it or in which ways it's become relevant. And um, even as you try to, to depart from it. So people are saying, well, you could just have a catchweight fight. Okay, but then you still have this belt and you still have this weight class and you still have these responsibilities here. To what extent does it tarnish it if you go and compete at a catchweight belt? Now, I'm not sure it would have the same value or that question would have the same significance if we were dealing in a boxing environment where these titles were essentially, uh, I mean, they were important for, you know, maybe creating some level of hierarchy, but ultimately were not uh, a title of real significance. But it is in UFC, it's a title of real significance. So they're kind of limited in how they can approach um, uses of it. I think that to me is a sort of interesting component here. You, you have to work through them, not around them. And to the extent that you want to do that or that you can do that, especially when you're limited by weight as well, it's a thorny issue, man. It's a really thorny issue. I don't know what they're going to do. So far, I think Chad Dundas' idea is probably the best. Uh, and even that one's not great, not because um, of anything he did, just because that's the best alternative I've heard of everything else, but it's not a great alternative. Um, other champions can go up in other sports and fight at more dominant weight classes just because they don't, it doesn't mean anything about another thing that has to be protected. In this case, the women's bantamweight title. So that really has hampered their ability to move around. Um, the Invicta UFC relationship. What are your thoughts on the relationship between UFC and Invicta? It's hard to argue that there aren't a lot of benefits for Invicta due to all the promotion the UFC can provide as well as a platform for them to appear on. In this case, Fight Pass. However, with reports coming out last week that the UFC are in talks with now Michelle Waterson, plus all the constant talks of bringing Cyborg to UFC, does the relationship put a ceiling on how popular Invicta can become? Does the UFC's ability to pull the bare bigger names away from them put them in a difficult situation that will ultimately limit their growth? Or do positives of the relationship completely outweigh this fact? Um, this is going to sound like an insult, and it's not. It's a no-win insult. I'm just trying to describe the mechanics of things. The UFC is a bit like a black hole. Now, not that when things go into it, they just sort of get crushed by the process or depending on your theories about what black holes are uh, and the space-time continuum, who knows, sent to another planet or another portion of the universe or whatever the case may be. I don't mean to get too literal on that way, but here's what I mean. There's a certain kind of gravitational pull that they have, the UFC, as things move in orbit of them. And so... Um, in the case of things like Strike Force that they bought out or other organizations that they bought the libraries from or things like that, uh, or WEC where they own them as well, those organizations exist to serve a purpose, which is to exist just long enough 
to um, make a transition over to the UFC uh, actionable. They, they, the UFC has never hand, and same with Pride, whenever a UFC has bought out another organization, none of those organizations survive, even if they were intended to survive. It just doesn't work that way. There are so many things you can use these organizations for to make the UFC even better from a comparative advantage standpoint or absolute advantage, then why wouldn't you? Right? Oh, you have a great middleweight division? Well, we don't have a, we have an okay middleweight division. Let's combine middleweight divisions. And now you can see the middleweight division is pretty formidable. Right? I mean, among a host of other things, all, all the lighter weight guys from WEC. So it's just impossible for them to survive. Everything that they do well from a comparative advantage, the UFC wants to take. You do lighter weight guys? Well, great. We want to have that. Now, Invicta isn't owned by UFC, but they have a symbiotic relationship with them. They have allowed two of their weight classes to basically be stripped out. I mean, they still have some people in those weight classes, but, you know, from the top of the food chain on down, they've stripped them out. Um, and they may do it more now with, as you mentioned, Michelle Waterson or maybe even Cyborg Santos. Here's the truth about uh, Invicta, though. Um, I don't think Invicta was ever, and I mentioned this before, I've always, always, always viewed it as a nonprofit. If it can, as a for-profit entity, uh, entity survive and continue, that's even better. But proximity to the UFC is both a complete help in the ways you mentioned, but also you just sort of sign yourself up for the inevitability of being subsumed. Um, all the things that you do well that the UFC doesn't do well or doesn't have the capacity for, they will then, through your relationship with them, then take those things to make the UFC bigger and better than it already is. That this is just the way the road is curved. Um, it's, it's just how things happen. So I actually feel like, though, that the mission that Invicta set out on of, of quote unquote, fixing women's MMA, of establishing weight classes, of trying to recruit talent, of trying to fill divisions, of just trying to do women's MMA the way men's MMA has been done. That to me is not a for-profit mission, but it's a hugely important mission. And while they have not been able to do that across all weight classes all the way up, and, and no organization, including UFC, may ever be able to do that, I feel like Invicta has already won. They have already succeeded. They are a total success to me. They got the ball rolling on treating women's MMA. I mean, many players have led to the moment where Invicta was able to take what was left and then build upon it. I don't mean to say history started with Invicta, but I truly, truly credit them for trying to turn a corner in a way that promoters were not, or maybe could not, or uh, uh, just simply didn't have the creative energy for. They decided they were going to say, we're going to do this the right way. We're gonna do it with divisions. Um, we're going to do it with contenders, we're going to build towards champions, we're going to crown champions, and we're going to make this look like a men's division in every way imaginable. And in two cases, they've done that, arguably three, um, and they can probably continue to do that. And the best part is they've now done enough to give it to the UFC for the UFC to then take it to another level. So to me, even if Invicta went away tomorrow, and I'm certainly not hoping that they do, but if they did, they were already a success to me. They are a pivotal player in making women's MMA, not just what it is today, but in, in, in the only way you can ensure longevity is yes, you have to have stars, but to have stars, um, you can have a Gina Carano and so forth, but to make it sustainable over time, you have to have the infrastructure. 
right? You have to have the architecture. You have to have these other components and you have to have a certain treatment of the product that allows that long-term sustainability to exist. Invicta did that and they didn't probably do it at a, I don't know that there are many people making a lot of money off of Invicta and that's okay. I mean, it's not great. I don't, I'm not happy about that fact, but um, I don't know. In some ways I don't feel like everyone's like, Oh, how, how long are they going to continue? I don't think they ever had a long shelf life, but they, but unlike other promoters who just came and Hey, what's your claim to fame promoter? Oh, we held some cool fights once in a while. Okay, fine. Hey, some prospects came through us and moved on to UFC. That's cool. That, that's definitely a great thing to be proud of. Invicta, Invicta helped change a sport. And if they went away tomorrow, they still have that on their shoulder. Other promoters had tried. Other nations had had a larger ecosystem and, and collection of uh, women's fighting as, as an industry. But here stateside and to, and, and to an extent at this point in time in the history of the sport for the women, um, majorly influential role in attracting greater investment on in the side of the game by creating the infrastructure in place for a deeper investor and for a bigger product to then take that treatment and elevate it to the where it's supposed to be. So um, Invicta is, is in my view, for what it was really designed to do, a, a success. I think it's essentially set that Rampage won't be fighting at UFC 186. Uh, I don't know that it's set, but uh, it doesn't look good, does it? It's impossible to comment on the situation too much only because we haven't seen anything related to Rampage's contract in terms of the specifics, only what we've been told. We haven't seen what um, Viacom is alleging or whatever the case may be. Um, so we can't say a whole lot about it, but if I were you, I would, I would suspect that he will not be fighting a 186, but who knows. At Zingano, I find it unbelievable that someone could quote unquote prepare for a title fight without studying the champion. I feel very disappointed for Kat, but I think her and her team cannot complain. I was wondering if you think there are any benefits of not studying opponents before a fight. Uh, for example, not letting anything change the way you fight, etc. I, for one, don't. So I've talked to a fair number of boxers and MMA fighters about this, and this is one area where they all share the same concern, particularly if you have someone who has a minimal body of work. Like I mentioned before, if you catch a fighter like 30 fights into their career, they can do things from a tactical standpoint or a larger strategic standpoint, employing the skills that they have or tweaking a thing here or there, maybe slightly working on the edges of their game. But if you're 30 fights into your career, and maybe before that, maybe even 20 or 10, but certainly let's say by 30, you've already kind of got the game you've got. Um, th that's who you are. You can change up different portions of it, use different portions of it, maybe slightly tweak and slightly improve certain things, but you're basically got what you got. Um, and so watching tape on someone like that could be without much consequence, but when they don't have that and they got 10 or less, and I know Rossi is an exception in many ways, but just generally as a general rule, what fighters often tell me is that, look, if I, if I personally watch tape, I'm going to pick up on things that um, maybe they won't even do in my fight, or I'm going to be thinking about what he's doing and not what I'm doing. And I'm very sympathetic to that. Now, <clears throat> certain fighters can watch tape, and it's no issue. Certain fighters can't watch tape, and um, they're probably better for it. But even if you don't watch tape, you individual fighter, someone on your team better. Someone on your team better and then not even tell you about it, like, hey, here's what we're going to work today. We're just going to work on this. But to me, uh, everyone was like, well, if, if Kat Zingano had raced across the octagon and landed that flying knee, we'd all be celebrating her. And I suppose that's true, but it's the same. I mentioned this on the Monday Morning Analyst. That's sort of the same thing as saying 
you know, if you just played the lotto with random numbers uh, and you won 500 million, we'd be celebrating you. It's like, okay, you know, that's fine. But your chances of winning, or, you know, you played it all based on your children's birthdays or something. Um, that's fine that you won. That's amazing. But, you know, that you're just playing the lotto. That's, that's all you're doing. You're not in any way substantively increasing your odds by buying a bunch of tickets or, you know, whatever the case may be to, 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 to better your odds. You're just, you're just playing that lottery with a case where you don't have a particularly great chance of winning. You don't really put yourself in a position to win. And I am open to the idea that the theories I've provided about ways in which to attack Rousey uh, may not work for you. My theory is that, like, let's see what she does well. She's great at the arm bar. We, hunt, we don't have any clear evidence, although she might be. We don't have any clear evidence that she's good necessarily with any kind of other chokes or footlocks. Um, that means to me if you get your back taken, you keep the hands here and you just sort of patiently work for a different a variety of escapes, but this never leaves. Um, even then you do get your back caught. You need to have someone, preferably a judoka, who has that kind of nawaza experience on the ground for the quick subs, the helicopter arm bars, and whatever else they may be doing from the back. Um, uh, or just different arm bar sequences and different scramble positions. You need to be working all of those. You need to be working with judokas in the clinch and anyone else in the clinch who works for ties up. You need to look at the entries that Rousey has been using to set up the tie clinch because here are the, uh, the, uh, the over under clinch that she always uses. Because to me, it's like, we don't even really know if Rousey has great striking. We know that she still relies, however else good the portion of her game might be, she still heavily relies on a key portion of that game. Well, what easier said than done? But what if you can limit or outright for stop the use of, of that portion of her game? Well, then we have to see everything else. Right? Doesn't that just intuitively sound like something you should try? She likes fast-paced fights. Let's find a way to slow the fight down. She likes to close the distance. Let's find a way to constantly manage it. She likes to get your hands on you. Let's find ways to clinch break. Because to me, and again, I don't know if anyone can get away with the leg kicks because of how fast she could catch them. But to me, busting up her legs, firing a jab in her face, closing an eye, making her bleed, these are things she's never had to deal with. So make her deal with them. Having her front leg battered is something she's never had to deal with. Now, maybe that's just too far out of the... Uh, you know, actionable things that you can do, but you understand what it is I'm saying. She likes to get into these exchanges, slow the fight down. So if those theories don't work for you, fine, but but everyone is beatable. This is a game where everyone gets tested eventually. Everyone has to persevere, and the great champions are the ones who dominated, like Anderson Silva over Chris Lieben, but also Anderson Silva versus Travis Luter, or Anderson Silva versus uh, Chael Sonnen in their first fight, the, uh, or Fedor versus Fujita. These are guys who have to who have had to come back from the brink, um, and everyone's like, you know, I understand that Rousey is beyond special. Look what I wrote about her in my Signal to Noise column. She is utterly and totally spectacular as an athlete, worthy of every uh, accolade you can possibly heap on her. But she is beatable, and this idea that like she's some superwoman and everyone, and then she, oh, you know, but she's superwoman, but she's lording over a stacked division. Simply not true. She may wind up being the Michael Jordan when it's all said and done. This woman who was this great, but I don't even know who the Clyde Drexler is. I, who who is who's out there like that? There's no one out there like that. That doesn't mean that person doesn't exist. That means that person hasn't been recruited to come over yet. We know, like the men's side of the game is way more advanced, and the participatory rate is much higher. We know from that side of the game what parity looks like. If you don't have that parity on the women's side of the game, that means the components um, of the division are missing. 
Not that there's this dynamic where the only thing that can stop Ronda Rousey is Krypton. No, you're just missing another elite athlete who has this kind of transition skills, particularly on the ground, and, and has a, a, a ability to marry that with um, quick, explosive takedowns. But what if we can find someone who's just like that? Rousey wasn't even the best in her own sport in judo. Very, 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 very good, but not the best. So to me, that's what you have to begin to think like. I know it's easier said than done. I am not in any way presenting this idea as something that's a matter of routine or procedure. Far from it. Maybe impossible in our lifetime. But we know what parity looks like. If it's missing, we have to find the ways to either recruit those people over here um, or at a very minimum with what we've got, just sort of look at this logically. How does she typically win? Let's remove the conditions to the extent possible that make that a reality for her. That That is where I would start. And I don't know how you can get there without watching someone in your camp, without watching tape. Uh, your thoughts on Bellator waiting so long? They might have, I don't know this to be true, but one part of me wonders if they waited um, just to make sure that it would stop UFC from, from hosting the fight in on time, not the event per se, but just Rampage's bout. Um, you know, Bellator and, and Viacom are not here playing with you. You know, they got money to spend and they have assets to, in their mind to protect. And so I wonder if that's got something to do with it. What do you think of Holly Holm? What do you think Holly Holm should fight after an unimpressive debut? I don't know why everyone thinks this is so unimpressive. If you had watched Holly Holm on Axis TV, this is exactly what you were accustomed to. Raquel Pennington is by far, by far, the best female fighter in MMA she's ever faced, like without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, first time in her UFC debut. She did what Holly Holm normally does. She has a great wide variety of strikes. She can lead with straights. She can lead with jabs. She can jab and cut angles. She can double jab and cut angles. Um, she has a good Superman punch, um, great front side, uh, uh, yeah, Jesus Christ, I can't even remember the word anymore. Um, she uses a front kick as a, uh, a front leg, front leg side kick as a way to sort of manage distance. Um, she has a, a, a wide kicking arsenal, but she does not hit particularly hard. She sometimes punches her way into her opponent's clinch, um, but decent takedown defense, good hips. She's obviously physically strong. But if you watch what she did on Access TV or really any of your other MMA fights, this is this is right in line with it. Uh, I would actually argue a slight improvement. There was a moment there where she had this big name, and I'm all for her using her big name. She should have used her big name. Go get paid. Get the best money you can. 100% endorse it. But you shouldn't let whatever that ha uh, um, whatever that is to let that interfere with what looking at tape on her tells you. There is nothing that happened in her debut that is in any way out of character with what she has turned in in mixed martial arts thus far. Thus far. It was in no way unimpressive. It was actually probably improvement in some ways. Yes, she stopped other opponents, but none of the caliber of Raquel Pennington. So I'm not exactly sure what people were expecting. I actually thought, given all the realities about her, she looks pretty good. I don't think that's the best you can get out of her. I think there's probably improvement that we're going to see from her. But if you thought she was going to go in there and just blow the doors off Pennington, you just, I don't know what to tell you. Like, not you per se, maybe a lot of you out there feel that way. 
but the tape never, ever, 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 ever suggested that that was a, 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 a high likelihood. Um, she's really talented. She has a lot of upside, but that is basically from, at least for now, who she is. Uh, Burt Watson, any idea why he left the UFC? So like, this was like a really popular story and I know, I'm like, I swear to God, I'm not saying this for effect. Uh, I, I honestly couldn't pay people to be as naturally loved as he is. Like, no, I, there's no, there's nothing I could do to ever be like that liked. Um, which tells you, you know, what a nice guy he must be, but I don't really understand why this is news exactly. Um, I, you know, I certainly I wish him well. I'm sorry that things may have ended poorly. I have nothing against him. Seems like a really nice dude. Everyone loves him, but I don't, I don't quite, I, I don't, it's not a, it's, um, it's not a particularly serious news item as far as I'm concerned. So I'm asking, do you think it will, uh, how will it affect the UFC going forward? I, I think it'll be, you know, he won't be replaced in spirit, but in terms of the functioning of what he did, I think they'll be just fine. You think it will affect the fighters backstage before their fights? No, not really. Uh, MMA TV ratings. Look, TV ratings for both Bellator and UFC are up pretty good so far this year. Thoughts and reasons. Well, the year is still young. Give it time. Bellator did have a stinker at four, I think, 133. Um, I, don't, I don't think they did very well there at all. But they definitely improved things for 134, even with that card getting damaged a bit and having to lose certain things that they did. Um, so there's one. I just think so far you've just seen a lot of promoters putting their best foot forward early in the year. We know what the January was like for UFC. Um, February was a little bit tougher, but nevertheless, they still had important bouts that they put on. I think they're kind of riding a general wave of attention new again. I'm seeing, I could be wrong about this. I'm, I don't know exactly what the reasons are. One, I feel like there was a moment in time where we were in a, in the sport where we were transitioning between the Hughes era, uh, Penn, Griffin, Liddell, Couture era of stars into a new era. And we hadn't quite done that yet. And I'm not saying that the new era of stars is what the other one was. But I do feel like that transition has mostly happened. There's a, just a core set now of newer UFC guys, your Weidmans. You know, there's still some other ones that float in between, like your Machitas, but your Weidmans, your McGregors, your Joneses, your Rouseys. It feels like there's a new paradigm. And so maybe that has helped um, with the UFC to get more attention. UFC's gotten more creative in finding ways to make it more publicly available. I think they've gotten better at um, – I think they've realized when they stack shows – that there really is a benefit to trying to stack a show, that just trying to do a show and having a couple things on it just isn't going to have the same kind of effect as when they really group their power and train the guns on one thing. I think they've made a better effort of that. They've also just been, you know, there's just been a matter of things being fortuitous in terms of having a rivalry like Jones and Cormier that they could bank, the return of Anderson Silva. I know there was fallout from it, but, you know, these sorts of things bleeding down to the Fox Sports card uh, help, you know, rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation. And with Bellator bringing back Kimbo and, um, you know, I don't, again, it's not my favorite thing in the world, but there's been people who I know have been checked out on the sport who have started to check back in this year. And that to me has been very surprising. Um, it just goes to show that when, again, when the UFC puts their best foot forward, when they stack shows, um, when they put the, they put a lot, how do I say this exactly? When the, when 
for the people who are coming back to the sport now, and I don't know how many there are, but I am seeing a little bit of it, what are they looking for? They're looking for the same kind of dynamic that they had when they left. The bigger shows, the more of it to chew on for a main card, getting your money's worth on a pay-per-view event, or seeing a big star that you really care about. You know, um, You're getting more of that. And I don't know if it's coincidental or a concerted effort or a combination of both, but to the extent that the UFC returns to that kind of paradigm, I think they're going to experience a fair amount of success. Um, and um, yeah, I don't think it's much more complicated than that, really. Gabby Garcia. Gabby Garcia has canceled her MMA debut. The multi-time world BJJ champ is sure to make a big impact. Uh, not yet, I guess. Can you talk about her accomplishments a little, and how do you think her combat prowess will translate to the MMA arena, in your opinion? Well, if you haven't seen Gabby Garcia, she's like 6'2", 6'3", and about 250 pounds, give or take, depending on what report you believe. Um, she has won everything that matters in sport jiu-jitsu, Mundials multiple times, ADCC, Brasileiros, Pan Ams, gold medal in all of these at the black belt level. She's huge. Um, she, had sl she had slimmed up pretty tremendously, I think, for her MMA debut, although still quite muscular. Um, although I don't know where... I don't know where things stand in terms of that, but um, yeah, I mean, she she looks in like a, a He-Man, you know, um, or whatever, the female version of the Incredible Hulk or whatever description you would care to use. Um, but um, I don't know how things are going to go for her MMA. I don't know if they can even give her an opponent. You know what I mean? They, they struggle to do that in Jiu-Jitsu, which is like way more people in it in terms of competitors than uh, MMA. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with that. But there's a million videos of her on the internet. She's a beast. She loves like uh, Kimuras from Side Control. She likes Americanas. Um, but she's pretty technical too. She can take your back if she has to. She has, she has a good, I've seen it a couple times, bow and arrow. So she can do things. Uh, how do you think the Esparza-Gajacek fight plays out? This line is very close at 160 in favor of Esparza. I actually think it's going to be a little bit more comfortable for Esparza than folks realize. I think she's going to be able, I think she can get in and out at different angles very quickly. I think her takedowns are going to be there for her if she needs them. Um, she's not going to stand in front of Gajacek at all. I think she's going to be in her horse completely. So I like Gajacek. I think very highly of her. I think her takedown defense with her back against the fence is great, but she's going to get picked up on some blast doubles and planted a number of times. So uh, I definitely like Esparza to win at much more than minus 160. Do you think Mark Munoz and Josh Koscheck should retire? This is one of those funny questions because um, there's this like belief in MMA or combat sports generally that, um, well, if someone's going to retire, they're going to retire. You don't get to tell someone what they can do. And you're right, I don't. I don't get to tell anybody anything that they can do. But I, I've never understood the thing where I have to like keep silent about this as if it's some sort of like solemn obligation. Or like some, you know, just just saying the words you should retire will bring like the candy man out of like reality, you know. It, I'm just gonna say it. Like no one has to listen doesn't mean I have all the information, but based on what we've seen, there's a pretty compelling case you can make that both Munoz and Koscik should retire. Um, Munoz has been on the bad end of a lot of bad stoppages. He's fought a lot of tough guys recently, and it has not gone his way. But Juan Carnero was a bit lower than the guys he'd been losing to previously. And, um, I mean, there was it happened like it was nothing. Like it was absolutely nothing. So that was kind of weird. 
And for Koshchak, and I mentioned this on the Monday Morning Analyst, I thought early he was doing things where he was like, he, he the blast double that he has, he runs you back and then even sometimes turns it into a knee tap and then an overhand right. But the funny part about it was I, I, I didn't see so much like a lot of physical decline, although that was there. But really, it was just that it reminded me of what MMA looked like in 2008, 2009, where you definitely had well-rounded mixed martial artists, but they had a certain kind of dimensionality that they lacked, right? So like when Koshchak couldn't get the blast double anymore and then the overhand right didn't work, there wasn't much else he could resort to in the repertoire. There just wasn't a lot else there. Um, so he's well-rounded in the sense that he can wrestle and he can strike a little bit, and to the extent he goes to the mat, he has a little bit of jiu-jitsu. But... Uh, he's limited in that in that space. The modern mixed martial artist can not only strike and can wrestle, but there's another layer of dimensionality that's available to them that they can access in the event that a portion of their offense is taken away early on. They can make adjustments over the course of rounds or minutes during a round to make sure that the things that they're good at um, are always in play, even if some of them are taken away. And I just didn't see that from him. I thought once his go-to weapons were gone, I didn't see any other weapons. Uh, that wasn't the case for Ellenberger, who sort of found a way to take away those things from Koscheck um, and then use, I think, some of his better newer boxing combination of straight and circular punching. That made a big difference for him. Let's see. Uh, do you... Uh, so can Ally Quinta be a future contender at 155? Let's see how he does in his next fight, but yeah, sure. Karate Hottie to the UFC at 155. She would never go 155, uh, 115. Um, well, she last fought at uh, Adam Weight. She's been Adam Weight for uh, some time, I believe, although she has fought higher than that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing her go to 115, but she's outsized there completely. She's better at atom weight. So to me, the question is, do they want to bring an atom weight uh, fighter over? I don't know. Now, she lost it to who? The Brazilian girl. Who was her, what was her name? Oh, yeah, Herica Trevisio. Um, so she's your rightful atom weight champ. Yeah, maybe. But I, it's like it's like Mizuki at 115 right now. Mizuki in a way after that Alexa Grasso fight. Hard not to watch that fight in her previous fight and not think she'd just be much better at atom weight. Uh, Liam McGeary, where would you put him in UFC rankings right now? Well, let me see what the rankings are. I might not even list them, but let's just see. I heard the rankings for uh, women's bantamweight was a show. I didn't even look. Let's see. First, let me see women's bantamweight. Yeah, Renault is behind the person she just beat. That's hilarious. Um, so... At light heavyweight, 15 is Dan Henderson, then Patrick Cummins, Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira, Fabio Maldonado. There are definitely some guys in that top 15 that I would favor McGeary to beat. Maldonado or Feijão or Henderson or Nogueira. I don't think he could beat Patrick Cummins. Um, although maybe, but I don't think so. Um, and I don't know about some of these other ones too. You know, Certainly not the Davises and Teixeiras and the Baders. But... Um, He's very good, man. Uh, first of all, a, a note, if you go to Spike.com, like they've redone their Bellator page where like last week's fights are all up there for free. 
So you can just go and embed them and share them and watch them. That's the first thing I mentioned. Yeah, McGeary looked really good. You know what I liked about him was he can put combinations together if he has to, although I think he was a little hesitant to throw kicks because of the takedown threat. So that kind of limited his game a little bit. But um, what I noticed about his punching was that he can get behind the jab if he needs to, but he can single shot with unbelievable timing and accuracy. He can just throw that one punch necessary to disrupt you or obviously to hurt you, whatever the functionality of the punch may be. He can throw it single shot, bang, land it, catch you even in movement if he has to, and, ha and, and work it to great effect. I was actually very impressed by that. Um, great guard. I, I, again, I think Vidim Agalasha, I mentioned this before, Vidim Agalasha obviously is a much more credentialed black belt and grappler than Liam McGeary will ever be. But in terms of like guys who functionally use their guard for offense, um, in this case he has to because he doesn't have the best takedown defense, but being that as it may, uh, really high-level guard work, constantly getting a knee inside to prevent a pass or to set up a triangle, um, get it, great at getting his hips off the ground and keeping them off the ground. Good at chaining together attacks. Uh, could be a little bit better about certain things, but just really, really hard to pass. Good at all, even when you have passed, at still setting up um, different armbar varieties from being passed, if you can believe it or not. So I just thought that was really impressive. You know, really, really, really impressive stuff. Uh, I just don't know where he would rank necessarily light heavyweight. If you're asking me, do I think he could beat guys who are ranked at light heavyweight in UFC? The answer is yes, but there are also guys that that are ranked, you know, within the top 15, within the top. 11 that I don't think he can beat, or I should say 11 to 15. Um, Gastelum versus Escudero as tough coaches. I get that they speak Spanish and all, but what do you think of them as coaches for tough Latin America? It's Gastelum. I, um, I kind of have mixed feelings about this since it seems like it seems like it's being rewarded instead of suffering the consequences for missing weight. Well, um, I actually like this because Escudero's coming off a win, but I don't really know what to do with him. Uh, Gastelum has his own issues, losing, not making weight, so he's got time to figure things out. Neither is a title contender, uh, and they're not going to fight each other for a show that's not going to air on US TV. Doesn't bother me at all, at, at all, at all, even a little bit. As you noted, they speak Spanish. Um, as you noted, I think both have Mexican heritage specifically. Uh, I, I just don't see the problem with it. You're, you're taking two guys out of rotation who won't impact, for the most part, the ability to, to, to stage a marquee event or fight. So I am, I am more than okay with it. Lance Palmer on the new tough season. How excited are you that the incredible Lance Palmer, the wrestling coach from Team Alpha Male, is on the new season of Tough. How would you make, what do you make of Palmer and how well do you expect him to do? P.S. What do you think of the format? Is he really on the show? That can't be right. Hold on. That can't be right. He's still with, he just won the, uh, the World Series of Fighting. And it's, he's not ATT. Hold on. I'm going to look one more time. I don't have to keep talking here. Uh, I don't know how to answer that one because I wasn't aware he was 
on the show. Although he, here we go. Cast members include. God damn it. I have the worst computer in America. Here we go. Yeah, he's not on it. So I'm not sure what you're, which one you're referring to, but he's not on it. Uh, as for the new format, what do I expect? I don't know. I'll give it a shot. I don't expect much. I know they're going to keep it around forever because it has value to them, but if you're a, I think if you're an experienced MMA fan, there's just not necessarily a ton of value there, but whatever. Uh, Cubs Watson versus Max Holloway. Who do you got and could you break it down? Because it's not a five-round fight and it's a three-round fight, I favor Swanson much more than I ordinarily would. I think it was a five-round fight. It'd be much more competitive. Um, I think Swanson is going to be able to hurt Holloway's in ways that Holloway's not going to be able to hurt Swanson. I think Swanson's bigger and stronger. Um, I think that he's just – I don't think he has quite the polish that Holloway does, but I think he's got better explosive speed. And I think that speed and power differential in tight exchanges uh, is going to get Holloway backing up a little slightly more gun-shy, hesitant, defensively shelled. And that will enable Swanson to physically uh, control any kind of position um, to reduce the volume of Holloway, which he needs to then make the adjustments. Uh, he might win a third round, but I see him losing the first and second to Swanson. Juliana Pena's return and prospects. Tough Winter Pena is returning shortly. She fights Miliana Dudieva at UFC Fight Night 63 on April 4th. I'll be there, I think. How do you see the uh, Venezuelan Vixen fitting into the title picture? Let's see how she looks when she comes back before we say anything else. I mean, what I've seen from her so far is interesting as a development prospect, but title picture stuff to me seems like a conversation I'm not even remotely ready to have. How many fights do you expect for her to take before we know? At least at a minimum, minimum three, but probably more. Uh, another question about Holly Holm. I've heard a lot of negative comments about the fight, but I think she did well and looks huge with the division. May cause problems for Rousey in the future. I think if you think she's going to cause problems for Rousey, I would, I would suggest to you to go back and watch that tape. Again, what are the things we have to do to Rousey that we have not seen that, at least in theory, we should try? And maybe those all wind up not being valuable, too, and I don't know what the answer is. But what we do know for sure is no one's ever closed an eye that she has. No one's ever banged up that front leg. No one's ever really scored a serious liver shot. Finding ways to do that, you would say, oh, well, Holm can do that. But Holm is not a particularly devastating puncher or kicker. She's great at landing. She's great at scoring. She's great at you know uh, the accumulative nature of striking. She's not always people that goes in there and just blasts you out. She's not a person that's going to break your nose. Probably not on the first couple of strikes. It's going to take her a bit. Um, and to some extent, that's also what you would want. Not necessarily someone who throws the big haymaker, but someone who can also chip away at Rousey. But the thing I mentioned before is she throws a lot of strikes with dynamic movement, and she can get herself into a position that Rousey can clinch on very easily, I feel like. Um, I'm not saying that with some developmental help that – Holm can't develop the skills necessary to give Rousey problems. But here is what I think that women should be doing at 135. Whatever you're doing at 135 right now, um, if you're close to the top of the food chain, if you're you know top five or in, it's not inconceivable for you to get a title shot pretty soon. Even if you have another opponent next, 
some way, somehow, you need to start trading for Rousey. Because to me, it feels like if you take whoever is there, Pennington, Cohea, Holm, none of them have the current skill set necessary to even keep Rousey off of them. And I don't think you can get that out of one camp. I really and truly don't. So to me, it feels like whatever is your next move, and I know you obviously it's hard to juggle both of the challenges of facing a Cohea or an I or a home. Those are specific needs you have to use to address that person before you even get to Rousey. But what I do know is like clinch breaking. Man, you better find ways to just get exit a clinch and break it with extreme quickness and impunity from all different angles of attack. That will save you a ton of time and, and, and effort. If Rousey can't get a hold of you to throw you, what is she going to do? Maybe she'll just bang you out on the feet. I don't know. But it's at least a question worth exploring. It's at least an issue worth examining. It's at least a practice worth getting good at. Um, given that, you know, you're bang, you're, I would much rather fight her however many years of striking, four or five years of striking, than her 27 years of judo or whatever it is, 20 years of judo. One has a tremendous advantage, and one maybe not an advantage at all. Yeah. What do you make of the Rampage and Bellator battle with the quote, we look forward to having one of our MMA stars fighting for Bellator again. Just how much trouble do you think will come from this? Um, everyone I've talked to who, uh, no one's revealed any contractual issues with me, but everyone I've talked to, <laughs> seems to think that their side has the correct legal interpretation here, right? So on the one side of the rampage and his management, they firmly believe and have attested to publicly that um, the, the language is pretty clear, that they're able to get out. And then I talk to people on the other side, and they seem to think quite the opposite, that the, that the language securing his relationship to Bellator and his exclusivity for them as a fighter is pre pretty clear. What the hell? Oh, turn that off. Sorry, y'all. Um, so I think this one's going to be protracted. I don't see any way that they solve this before UFC 186. I think they launched it at the time that they did to make sure that it would have an impact on his ability to compete there. And I do think that if he loses this battle, I have a hard time seeing him go back to Bellator. I think that might be the end of Rampage. I could be wrong. Maybe he'll go back and fight one more time just because he'll get a good paycheck or something like that. I don't know. But I have a hard time seeing him lose this opportunity only to go back and say, well, all is forgiven. Let's work with this promoter who just took me to court. I, I don't know. That doesn't seem very likely to me. If Henry Cejudo beats Chris Carriasso, a former title challenger, how far away do you think he is from a shot against DJ? Well, Carriasso wasn't much of a title challenger, in all fairness to DJ. I don't mean to be, I don't know, dismissive of Carriasso. I think he put up the fight that he could, given the skills that he has, but he was not, I think he was ninth when he was ranked in that division. So this is not a guy who uh, uh, is necessarily, I mean, the, the gap between he and, and Johnson is fairly significant. Um, with Cejudo, I don't know. I really don't know about this one. First, he needs to be able to go back to flyweight and stay there consistently. Um, uh, actually, I think this fight is at flyweight. 
Let's see. Uh, one second, one second. Let's see, let's see, son. Um, yeah, it should be at flyweight still. That's what it is. Okay, still at flyweight. Um, I don't know. You know, if they're giving Horaguchi title fights, maybe they're going to give Cejudo title fights, but it feels like Cejudo could just be one of those guys who actually gives DJ problems if he can continue to progress and, and build on the things that he already has. He needs a much further way to go. Um, I want to say it's not imminent, but I just feel like given the limited amount of options and given the commercial opportunity there, that it would be fast-tracked. I'd be surprised if he's not fighting if he's not fighting DJ within four fights. So maybe a year. It's crazy to think about, but it's, it's possible. Uh, Routsy versus Cyborg. Don't all of these people calling for the Cyborg versus Rousey fight at a catch weight of 140 pounds realize that the UFC has no 145-pound division? What is the UFC supposed to do with Cyborg after Rousey's fight, whether she wins or loses? Are they supposed to have sign her up, invest a ton of money in, in promoting her, only for her to leave immediately after? This is the problem with having a belt that matters and an organization built around or a belt built within inside an organization is that you not only have to fill the terms need, needed for that fight, but potentially for the organization's needs generally. And if they have no place for you, it's not exactly clear what they can do. But at the same time, here's what I would say in defense of what Cyborg is. Maybe she actually legitimately can't get down to 135. Tim Sylvia cannot make middleweight, right? They just can't. Tim Sylvia probably can't even make 205. But you definitely can't make middleweight. 145 is already a stretch for her. You kind of have to accept it. And you have to ask yourself this. Um, I would say that I think you just kind of got to risk it. I think when I've I mentioned this before, I think with this Pacquiao Mayweather fight, the pressure on promoters to do something spectacular and above and beyond the call of duty in terms of placing people together in fights that people want to see is going to be at an all-time high. Even that includes even in MMA, just because people are going to see. I've been saying this for the longest time on these live chats. The thirst out there for a uh, super fight is huge. It's huge, 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 and they're finally delivering on it. And you can see what the market response is going to be. And certainly, the the dynamic between Mayweather and Pacquiao is much, much different than anything in MMA. And of course, Rousey and Cyborg. I understand that, but there are overlapping similarities in in terms of um, how much bigger things could be by putting two polarizing and magnetizing personalities and and talented athletes together even if it's not quite the right fit maybe you do a fight where you turn to a one fight deal if she wins you do a rematch clause if she wins the rematch then you bring 145s over for as long as you need for cyborg and then you can just get rid of it that's what i would try you know and make the fight at 140 um and make the the the, the idea that it's a catchweight fight um you know known this is not for a title. Rousey's having to come out of her weight class to compete. Cyborg's having to come down. I think if you just explain that to the public, you can get pretty far with it. It won't be so it won't be so hampering in the event that Rousey loses. And if Rousey loses, you can do a rematch and have the rematch be at a different weight. You know, if Rousey loses 137 or 138 or I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you have it at 135. There's a I don't know. But there are ways. Here's what I know. Letting it go outright because you view these hurdles as significant seems like a mistake. I think you can be a person who acknowledges, okay, I recognize that there are some issues here that just don't make this an easy um, 
thing to put together. But are we better off for not having it or trying to do something to have it? And I would, I would submit to you, we are much better off trying to do something to have it. Uh, UFC 184 numbers, any indications on how well UFC 184 did? The prelims were better than expected. Yeah, I think they peaked at like 1.2 mil on Fox Sports 1, so that's really good. Uh, there are no words on pay-per-view yet. I can tell you anecdotally, for whatever it's worth, the bars were a little bit more crowded, at least in Washington, D.C., than um, um, I think some had expected or had been for many previous UFC events this year, notwithstanding. Obviously, there's been some pretty big ones this year, but you get the idea if you're a typical MMA fan and you like to go out to bars. Um, maybe you were thinking this one might be a little bit less with all the cancellations, but I'm told that they were pretty packed. Um, Bars in this area like Buffalo Wild Wings and um, um, no, not Buffalo. There's no, there's no Buffalo Wild Wings in DC. Buffalo Billiards up on Dupont Circle is a huge place for UFC. I'm told there was a line out the door to get in there. So take that for what it's worth. But we don't have any numbers on that yet. I can tell you from a traffic standpoint, and this is sort of the funny part to me about like Rousey's stardom. Everyone's like, she's the biggest star in MMA, and she she might be depending on how you define it, right? So like if you define it where she reaches into the corners of society that other people can't reach. I think that's true. If you define it as she's become a wider cultural curiosity, I, I think that's true. If you define it as she has reached into not only just the people that don't normally watch MMA, but she has um, helped attract, at least for her fights, if not more than that, um, women to the sport that ordinarily would not consider giving it an opportunity or would otherwise care. I think all that is true. If, if you want to argue she might be the most recognizable star from the casual sports fan, that might also be true, uh, although less so true. But you get the idea. It's at least, you know, up for debate. But in terms of, like, the business impact she has on MMA, she's not at the top of the list. Like, that fight she had against Zingano for all the hype and whatever else it had, it did – a quarter of what we did for um, DC Jones, not even close. Um, I don't think she even, in terms of our traffic, I don't think she even tied Conor McGregor. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that <coughs> Rossi's not a bigger star than Conor McGregor. What I am saying though is whatever else she's able to do in terms of reaching new audiences and having a wide appeal in terms of the visibility, I'm not sure that necessarily translates to the commercial side of things, or um, even with her visibility, the uh, ability to attract in aggregate wider audiences. I'm just not sure that's true. So it says Lance the Party Palmer is part of the Team Alpha Male Wrestling Crew, and it appears he's on the show in some capacity. I'll, I'll wait to see what that is. Uh, Rousey's opposition. Is there something to be said about Rousey's past competition not training the right way or game planning in order to give themselves the best chance for success? I'm thinking that if I was in the top 10 of the UFC's female bantamweight division, I would go to judo schools and at the very least learn basic judo defense and not just for the few months or less that is my training camp. Here you go. This is exactly what I'm talking about. It could be argued that these women should come out with a better game plans to deal with her even in my humble opinion. It is ironic that the best someone has game plan against Ronda was Sarah McMahon, and she was also the victim of first-round finish thoughts. Um, I think you're totally right. Look, it's going to take a few tries, but here's, here's what she wants to do. Rousey wants to either – Rousey wants to make you panic. She wants to make you make hasty decisions. She wants to make you 
lock up with her in some capacity, you got to not do all those things. So, for example, McMahon was able to slow the fight down against the fence, but was only able to slow it down in the sense that she herself couldn't do much or move. Mobility is going to be, I feel like, key to that. I really feel like if you had someone who could fire a jab and get out of the way before Rousey could get a hold of them, or as Rousey charges, could just break off at any point that they needed to. But if you're just going to go out there and try and roughhouse with her, and, and unless you have the skill she does, you're just going to, you know, go, I'm, oh, I'm just going to beat her at her own game. I don't think you're going to beat her at her own game. I think you're going to end up with a 14-second submission. You have to beat her scientifically. You have to be a, a, a world-class athlete with – you have to theorize a, a, a correct game plan. That's the first part. You have to have your theory. Your theory has to be correct, and your application of the theory needs to be on point. All of those have to be in play at the same time to beat Rousey. Um, and, you know, that's a very, very difficult task to do, but I do think it's possible. I, we had this tendency in MMA, you see with Anderson Silva to extend yourself with Fedor until they, the bottom dropped out on both of them, where, they, you know, if someone wins a lot, you get this sense of, like, inevitability of their victory, this inevitability, this untouchability. Oh, look at this mere mortal daring to challenge the great so-and-so. And I just feel like it's a really bad way, we, uh, an impulse we have in the sport of, you know, treating our better fighters. I mean, yes, they're very good, but look, if Anthony Johnson lays, it's why I like doing predictions. Sometimes you can have the correct idea about a fight, but a lot of times you're not gonna, you, me, anyone, because you just don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know what tiny little adjustment or accident is in some way going to have a profound impact, these, these magnified results. Um, but the best you can do though, if you're a challenger facing Rousey, is you have to have an understanding of how she competes, an understanding of what you do that you can allows you to, like, what does she do well? How do we stop that? How do we work around that so we can make, come to life what we do well? But just charging at her, it just, I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure Kat Zingano's feeling bad. I'm sure if they fought again, it would be closer. You know, I truly believe that. But the other part about it was she's like, oh, I want a rematch. I think Kat Zingano can beat everyone at 135, not named Ronda Rousey. But if you lose in 14 seconds, how do you sell a rematch? I don't know about that. I just don't know. I really, 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 truly don't know. I mean, maybe they will because they'll find a creative way to sell it. I, but you haven't done yourself any favors. Really haven't done yourself any favors. If you want to beat Rousey, the best thing you can do is lose like lose in a way where it looked like you had a sense of what was going on, you know, that you didn't just get lucky or, or blown out. Like if you beat her or if you're not going to beat her, lose to her in a way where we can be like, you know what? Something happened there. Something happened there. Right now, these girls are going in there and just getting body slammed and, and torched in these grappling exchanges that they just have no business being in. Um, it's a shame for Bellator that so much else happened over their excellent show Friday night. What did you think of the show? Um, you know, I think that the uh, whole British invasion angle didn't quite work. It was a bit of a dud for me, but they tried. I admit, I'm glad they tried. I love the stage. I think the stage is phenomenal. Uh, it's so much fun. I love the ramp. I love the production elements for those bigger shows. I really, truly like those. It makes a Bellator show much better than it normally is. Um, 
I would still like to see a few extra things happen to make the main event feel a little more special. Um, so I don't think they've quite done tweaking it out necessarily, even if they have to borrow some elements from UFC production. But um, so I'd like to see a little bit more done for the main event because it feels like everyone has like a uh, has like a video montage and package before the fight, and that in that sense it doesn't might quite make it special. But uh, aside from that, I think Jimmy Smith and and Sean Wheelock are phenomenal. Um, shout outs to Jimmy Smith for not losing his mic when everyone was trying to take it from him. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good show. I thought it was a good show. Uh, not the best show they have done or could do, but the more they do of that, the better Bellator will be off. Again, when you put your best foot forward, when you just trot out a product in MMA with maybe one crown jewel at the top, that's what you're going to get in terms of enthusiasm in MMA. MMA is very much a gigo kind of product. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. If you put quality in, you get quality out. It's really... It's it, fans expect a meaty product, but if you give them that, the returns can are just exponentially better. Uh, game planning against Rousey. So here's someone else's theory. It seems to me that fighters are trying too much to beat Rousey at her own game instead of sticking to their game plan. When Misha fought her last, she was out striking Ronda, but then for some odd reason began clinching with her, trying to Ronda Ronda. Is this just poor fighter IQ or are fighters listening too much to how amazing Ronda's game is and ego and controlling what they're going for? Partly, I don't think, I, I think it's partly what you're doing. Partly also, uh, I thought the Gracie breakdown brought this up and I also thought you could have seen it in the Misha Tate fight. There are some things that fighters actually do really well that work against everyone else but won't work against Ronda. So it's not just that you have to do things against her that she's also, um, how do I say this exactly? If she's not good at something, you want to exploit that. If she is good at something, you want to avoid that. But sometimes to avoid what she's good at, you also have to avoid things you're good at. So, for example, with Tate, Tate is good. Tate has a decent level change and at a minimum can get a hold of you from a clinch and go for a trip. She can just get her hands on you. She was doing that by charging into Rousey before even uh, sometimes before the even level change could set in. Or she would get pulled off the level change and then she would get tossed with like a Harai Goshi or Uchimata or something. Right? In other words, like that portion of her game, even if it's still good, it's just still going to play to Rousey's strengths. That has to be removed too, or at least not utilized in that way. Um, I wonder what would happen if someone pulled guard on Rousey, you know? Someone who had like a really good guard. Rousey would probably just stand back out or maybe pass, you know? Um, and then maybe from the past try to, try to work some submission. But I wonder if someone was like a dedicated guard player with a very hard guard to pass, um, and had good defense on bottom, what that would do. You know, I don't think that's the best idea ever. I don't think that would win. I don't bring up the guard pulling to suggest that's a way to beat Ronda Rousey. Let me just make that clear. What I do suggest is I wonder what pulling guard would tell us about how Rousey reacts. Because what we're looking for now is, like, it's going to take several more competitors of what I'm talking about figuring out something just to illuminate enough weaknesses of Rousey to begin to formulate a much more coherent game plan. We barely have any idea about her weaknesses because she's getting better camp over camp. So we need people to try different things to give us a window into what works and to what doesn't work and things that have an ability to slow her down and not. And I agree with you, Misha, when she was jabbing and getting off an angle, she was giving Rousey problems. Part two, fighting at range is the only hope for fighters against Ronda's judo pedigree. I agree that Holly Holm isn't ready for Ronda. I don't want them to ruin a challenger like they did with McMahon. 
But after watching home the last night, her game could be a good game plan versus Rana, sort of. Holly seems to strike quickly and retreat in almost a point-fighting style, looking for a head kick openings. She does punch her way into the clinch, though, a little bit. Your opponent's clinch, not her own. Um, that might that might not work, but I think it could frustrate Ronda enough into panicking slightly if she is down on the scorecards after a round or two. We have seen a slightly longer fight. I, again, I, I think these are worth trying. I think these are ideas worth considering. These are worth taking seriously. These are worth attempting. Because whatever else you're doing, clinching up with her, trying to go move for move for her on the mat, on the mat, trying to win on the takedown battle, y'all are getting torched. So that ain't working. Luke, do you think Mark Munoz allowed to be choked out? Was allowed to be choked out cold for too long? Yeah, I don't know what was happening there. Uh, was the ref in dangerous air there, in your opinion? Yeah, for sure. I don't see how you can't say he wasn't. Uh, right there in front, a non-responsive body language from Mark Munoz. Uh, Jukau could feel it. Canero could feel it because someone goes limp in your arms. You, if you're if you're experienced like he is, you can tell. You can just a certain way that they're. Their body relaxes a little bit in your grip that, you know, when someone's trying to fight it, that they don't. Um, but Valal could see that. He didn't pull up his hand early enough to tell if it was he was out. Um, he didn't wave in front. He did, I don't know if he was even yelling to Mark to, like, verbally respond to show something. And so he's just kind of looking at him for an extended period of time. Uh, yeah, that was bad. That was just a hard-to-forgive kind of error. And Valal had a bad night. Jaron Valal had a bad night all night. Weidman at light heavyweight. Luke, to me, Chris Weidman looks huge at middleweight. Where do you think he would rank at light heavyweight, and who do you think could beat him? Well, Jones could beat him, for, for sure. Um, do I think he could beat Gustafson? I do. Do I think he could beat Cormier? I do. I think he could beat Evans, Bader, Teixeira, Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, but uh, I don't know about Anthony Johnson. Maybe. Maybe he could beat Johnson, too. I, I, mean, he's, I don't think he could beat Jones, but I... I like his chances at least against everyone else. Which challenger has the better chance at beating the champion? Dos Anjos? No. Yajacek? Um, I don't think. Horiguchi? Definitely not. Barrow? Maybe. Belfort? No. Johnson? I think has a decent chance. For Doom? Probably not. Rory has a very good chance. And Connor has a decent chance. Um, on the MMA Hour last week, the head of the California Athletic Commission was talking about judges for UFC 184 having at least a purple belt in BJJ. Do you know how many of the Athletic Commissions consider martial arts training as a prerequisite to becoming a judge? Prerequisite, I don't know. Many of them respond to it favorably. And is there a danger of favoring a fighter because of them using the techniques the judge has trained in? All of these are potential. This is why you have to sort of vet these candidates. Also, I think that the standard of judging for the UFC is generally quite good. However, with the upcoming Reebok deal, there will be a long-term impact on the way people judge, given that it affects the rankings. I can't describe the ways in which I think trying to pay these guys off of fighter rankings is a bad idea, and I think a storm is coming. I think a storm is coming about fighter pushback when all of this begins to play out in real time, and it could affect matchmaking more than just how guys get paid. Um, it could have seriously affect discontent. I think a storm is brewing when it comes to this Reebok deal, but from what I'm told, UFC is ready to move forward with it. Um, well, I I, uh, I one time criticized the Virginia Commission pretty handily, and then we sort of came to terms, and they had asked me if I was interested in becoming a judge for them. 
No, I couldn't. I don't live in Virginia. I mean, I could be one, but I couldn't because of I have time commitments and everything else. But um, I remember looking at the paperwork that they gave me, and I've seen similar paperwork in D.C., and what they ask you is all kinds of your martial arts and athletic competitive background and your judging background as well. Maybe you were a judge for competitive Taekwondo. Then they take those kinds of things into consideration as well, among many other things, you know, sort of requisite direct MMA experience, or maybe, maybe you were a boxing judge. They value all these different kinds of things. I think they're making a composite sketch about whether or not you're qualified. Now, of course, you've been judging fights in Las Vegas, MMA fights for 10 years. Chances are you can get licensed in Virginia, of course. Um, if you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu and you've refed IBJJF matches, if you fought six uh, amateur fights, um, you know, and you wrestled in college, you're probably going to get an easier time, you know, getting a judging assignment, at least an, you know, from an amateur standpoint versus a pro fight pretty easily. Um, what do I think of the nice things Chael Sonnen said about me? Uh, I really appreciate it. If you didn't see him on his podcast, you're welcome this week, along with Rain Wilson. So check that out. And he said really nice things about me, all of which I am humbled and honored by, but uh, I don't know how true they are, but uh, they're very, very nice of him. True or false? Rampage fight to UFC 186. I will say false. Koscheck retires in the next two months without fighting again. I think he fights one more time. Rousey retires undefeated. I will. It might be true, but just for fun, I'll say false. UFC stops doing women's MMA when Rousey retires. False. Holloway earns a title shot in 2016. True. UFC 186 does worse pay-per-view than 184. True. UFC, oh, sorry, Poirier cracks the top five at lightweight. Um, wow. He might, but I doubt it. McGeary fights in the UFC before the end of 2016. False. Pettis gets a round one KO against Dos Anjos. I will say true. Thoughts on the California State Athletic Commission randomly blood testing all fighters to UFC 184. Love it. Again, my attitude is if we're going to test these guys like we're supposed to, to give, to give the sport a chance to say, hey, at least we tried to clean up the sport. Hey, at least we did the things that are required to say we clean up the sport. Let's give that a try. If it doesn't work, we can figure out something after that, but at least try it. At least try it, right? If you're going to do it, do it the right way, and this is a way to do it. Of note, I want to see if someone fails a piss test for marijuana, and then they use the blood test results to verify whether they failed in that 12-hour in-competition window. That will be very interesting to me because that is what I would call justice. I've said it from day one. I will say it again. If you want to hem a guy up for doing something wrong, at least be able to prove it scientifically. That's what he did. That's it. Just prove it. Any word from the UFC on interviewing Mr. Epstein? Uh, it was denied for now, but we'll see. I'll keep trying. Uh, technique talk. Um, but, I, but you know, I've talked to some other people uh, about the issue and um, – and I talked to one. I talked to somebody else in the management there about another issue story I'm working on. So, you know, they're responsive for the most part. But I'll I'll, I'll find a way. I will find a way. Uh, technique talk. As a longtime kung fu practitioner, I see a lot of strikes in that system that, if modified, could be effective in MMA. I am curious if, in your travels, you have seen any different techniques, striking or grappling, that is not in common use in MMA that you believe could be effective. No, the non-traditional stuff is not an area of my expertise. I don't have a lot of familiarity with it. I don't have a lot of exposure to it. And I know Kung Fu has been kind of laughed at. And, you know, I'm not saying that you can take the five animal style and, you know, make it work in modern MMA. But I think if there's been a lesson about the kinds of traditional martial arts we've looked down on, 
your Taekwondo's, even your Aikido's to some extent. Um, Aikido has a lot of wrist locks, which don't work in MMA because of the glove, but wrist locks work in jiu-jitsu really well, or on the street, you know. Um, these like police holds in some ways. Um, and Kung Fu too, again, I don't pretend in any way to have a deep or even really cursory knowledge of Kung Fu, but I wouldn't, given what we know about the other styles um, that have had a renaissance of sorts, when those practitioners learn the basics of MMA and the foundations of MMA, I'd be curious to see someone who knows a lot about it try and bring some of that stuff to life. Uh, in cage weight, would you like to see the UFC weigh in the fighters the day of the fight and put it in the tail of the tape? Um, no, I don't really care about that. I think that would just put more pressure on these guys to do unhealthy things, which I don't think is a good idea. Gagard Musasi versus Costas Philippou. Thoughts on this matchup? Fight doesn't make much sense to me. Let me see where Philippou is ranked. Oh, he's not, is he? Uh, 12th. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I kind of like it. I think Musasi has just more ways to win. Uh, and will eventually pick apart Costas Philippou. But, um... It could be a fun fun scrap. Let me see when his last fight was. Yeah, he just beat Hendo. He beat the hell out of Hendo. God damn. Poor Hendo, man. Um, yeah, I don't mind it so much. I, I think it's a bit of an easier fight for Musasi, but it could be fun. And it sounds like they just needed people to keep going to fill to fill rosters, to fill spots. Anderson Silva Luke, just wondering what your take is on Anderson changing his tune on his failed drug tests. In my opinion, it was the obvious route to take, but it's far too late. If he was completely taking PEDs to expedite his recovery, you'd think he would have owned up to it immediately after being caught. I think that him and his team have completely botched their attempt at damage control. I would not be so dismissive until they actually come out and admit it and see how they admit it and see what they say about it because I feel like a lot of fans are ready to forgive him and ready to move on if he does that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. If they come out and they're still kind of dodgy about it, maybe not. But if they come out and say, all right, you know what? Um, it's not Anderson's fault. We gave him this to take. We didn't realize it was this. I can tell you I had a doctor email me um, who said that if he were treating Anderson, he wouldn't have hesitated to uh, prescribe some of the things that he was given to help aid in the recovery of his injured leg because I would have done it like that. And maybe there was a mistake in that capacity. Um, I have a hard time believing that just because of the way in which the testing worked about uh, the different windows and where he was caught. But be that as it may, um, if they can concoct an interesting story and narrative about how it all happened, um, I certainly feel like he is capable of, of some image rehabilitation. I would be very, I'd be very hesitant to dismiss that. What if Ronda wasn't able to reverse the takedown from Kat? It happened so fast, but what if Kat ended up on top? Would we still consider her rushing at Ronda to be a bad move, even if she's still lost in the end? It looked for a split second that her attack might almost work. Um, it depends. Would she have been subbed off of her back immediately? You know? Um, Rousey submitted Julia Budd from her back like that, from guard. 
I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know that it would have been the best idea. To me, if you're going to beat her at your at her game, then that's fine. And beating her game doesn't just mean winning the first exchange, which is what you're talking about. All right, so she got her down. Then what? You got her down to where she has a ridiculous arm bar from the guard. Good luck with that. You're going to need it. Oh, you can't pass her guard? Okay, great. Now you're back on your feet, and she can just reclinch with you. So to me, it's like if you're going to beat her at her game, you have to beat someone at their game thoroughly, like Danny Castillo versus Paul Sass. Oh, you're a guard player? I'm going to make your guard worthless. Worthless. I'm going to pass it. I'm going to avoid every submission attempt you have. I'm going to frustrate the hell out of you, and I'm going to ground and pound on you the entire time. That's beating someone at their game. But just getting a takedown to then put them in a position where they still have a ton of weapons, I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical about that, too, to be honest. I'm not saying it's not a possible. I'm just saying if if I don't know if Cat is the person to not just win a takedown battle, but then the grappling exchanges, because otherwise it doesn't mean a whole lot. What was the worst ref of all time? Um, in my opinion, because there's nothing ranked, I don't know if he's the worst ref of all time, but John Shorley is a very bad referee, in my opinion. Uh, he has made, in my opinion, a number of fairly strategic miscalculations and, uh, in my opinion, um, a number of just negligent things on his part in the course of a, a lot of fights on Shorley. Going to heavyweight. Jones goes to heavyweight. Will it be an instant fight with Kane, or would it make sense to put him against JDS as a warm-up? I mean, we'll cross that bridge when we get there and see who's relevant when we get there. I think talking about that now is, makes no sense. Can you tell me why I feel so guilty about knowing for a fact that I will tune into the Ken Shamrock versus Kimbo Slice fight? As a hardcore fan, I think this fight is ridiculous. Maybe it is because there's something in me that wants to experience the novelty of just how it is possible for a 50-year-old man to compete in mixed martial arts. Uh, if it wasn't my job, I would not watch that fight just because the fight is, I mean, look, Bellator is going to get great ratings with that. Kimbo Slice was on Dan Lebitard, you know what I mean, promoting Bellator and promoting his fight with Ken Shamrock. I know he was on our local sports station here, 1067 The Fan, where I used to work, which is CBS Radio. They don't talk to MMA fighters unless there's something really to talk about. So Bellator, man, they're going to kill in the ratings with that Kimbo Slice fight. There's no doubt about it. And, of course, if they're going to put Kimbo Slice versus Ken Shamrock at the top of the bill, I have a strong belief that the rest of that main card, it's going to be baller. So, look, I'm not complaining about that as such, but, yo, that fight is going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to suck in ways that sucking has never sucked before. There's just no way around it, okay? Just trying to be honest. I understand the commercial uh, facts about it. I understand what Bellator is trying to do. I'm not trying to talk them out of it. I get it. I completely get it. But as a consumer of MMA, woo! Welcome to Suckville. <laughs> Here are the two mayors. That uh, is going to be terrible. That's going to be terrible. So, I think you're watching it because there's a bit of nostalgia. There's a bit of like comic relief to it. There's also the bit about the fact that it's going to draw eyeballs and maybe the rest of that card will be kind of interesting. Um, and MMA is a sport of like, you know, um, it's partly sport and it's a spectacle, but it's more than that. It's like, um, what are those like horror shows? Like those uh, freak shows, um, um, 
you know, see the guy who swallows swords and stuff like that. It's just a little bit like that. There's a little bit of that to it. The carny element of MMA is never fully gone, although I, I wouldn't mind a world where it was. Uh, Fighters Union. Several prominent MMA journalists, including Mr. Helwani, seem to be very interested in the prospect of a union for MMA fighters. This is his words, not mine. Do you think most fighters would be actually benefit from being employees with a union as opposed to being independent contractors? Uh, yeah. Do you mean to say that would fighters be better off with way more legal protection and representation or working independently? <coughs> Gee, I don't know. Um, let me go to the Twitter machine real quick. Do you know much about Gary Goodridge's recent increased social or increased visibility on social media? I cannot say that I do. Uh, what do you think of Herrig versus Paige Van Zandt? Who do you favor to win? I actually favor Paige Van Zandt. Um, I think that she'll be able to match Felice physically. Um, uh, and uh, I think that she has enough defense, not great defense, but enough defense to keep. Here's what I think. I don't think her defense is great, but I actually think she's going to be so proactive on offense. She's gonna actually going to have Herrig on the defense physically and then on the ground. And then from there, I think she'll be able to just pound out a win. Um, champions, Luke, how do you, how do you think the champions from Bellator, so Minikov, McGeary, Halsey, Lima, Brooks, Frede, Warren, and then World Series of Fighting, Rama, Branch, Paharis, Gaethje, Palmer, Moresh, and Aguilar would do in the UFC? Oh, Jesus, what a long question. They do well. Um, so I asked about Metamora 6. I'm hearing, uh, I am hearing June. Seems like you aim but have not been able to finish those in 30 minutes, your Monday morning analyst. What is the reason for this restriction? Because I don't have time to do anything else. Uh, Joe Rogan and Bruce Buffer's comments versus Ian McCall's. Luke, what did you make of Joe Rogan and Bruce Buffer's stance that Ronda could beat 50% of male bantamweights? Ian McCall and 90% of men disagree, but surely she could beat up Takei Mizugaki's of the world, right? No. Um, there are some really bad bantamweights people aren't thinking of. Look, uh, here's the point. You take someone of two, you take a woman and a man of equal skill um, and equal weight, uh, the man's going to have a tremendous advantage because of uh, the, the strength. Um, I just don't think you can overstate that. Look, I don't know how many men she could beat. If I had to guess, um, it's probably some, but not many. I, I don't think 50% is really reasonable, but I also feel like the very question is kind of silly. It's never going to happen. Um, we're never going to know the answer to it. And I, I understand that her accomplishments are so outrageous that they're hard to understand. They're hard to wrap our head around. And so we're trying to reach for the next thing over, which is like, well, how would you do against the male bantamweights? But uh, I think that sort of undermines what she's done. Um, and there's no real way to ever answer the question. So I just feel like leaving it is, you know, we're all going to have our own different answers about what the number is from zero to 100%. No one's going to be right. No one's going to be wrong. It's really not fair to the male bantamweights or to her. Here's what I would say, though. What I would say. I would not be opposed to seeing Rousey or really any kind of really high-level female grappler versus a man at something like Metamoris or Polaris because they go against each other in the gym all the time. And I can tell you, depending on their body type and their skill set, 
there are plenty of very good female grapplers who I'm sure can beat men. I'm sure of it, depending on how you get a less skilled man, but maybe get him really kind of strong, but get a really skilled woman who's maybe a little bit smaller. To me, I, I think that's kind of interesting. I think that's a, that, that's something that, that could be looked at, you know. Um, but I don't know that people would want to do that. I don't know if someone would want to sign up to face Rousey or to face, you know, uh, Beatrice Mesquita or Mackenzie Dern. I, I don't know if they could do that or if, just from a willingness of the participants. But to me, that that's the way to go. All right, last question, Luke. What did you make of Ronda's fight being all over Instagram? The Gracies and many others have posted it before. It ultimately went viral. I was going to repost myself, but then I thought, isn't this illegal? Besides, whether it was legal, isn't her fight going viral and being seen by many more eyeballs actually a good thing for UFC? Yeah, you know what? NBA, I mean, look, who is going to buy a 14-second pay-per-view that they missed the first time? Nobody. And NBA just lets you take all their stuff on YouTube and make your own remix stuff. They think highlights is a form of advertising. I agree completely. UFC doesn't. I think UFC is totally wrong in that regard, but they're not going to change their mind at any point. Just to note, though, UFC, uh, NBA thinks you as a fan taking their highlights and remixing them and putting them on your YouTube channel is like great for their sport. So take that for what it's worth. All right, we have to go. Um, you can email me at luke.thomas.espionation.com. I got a ton of emails last week that I plan to return this week. Uh, last week was insane. I didn't have any time, but I'll try to get to them this week. And um, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Until next time, uh, stay frosty. Bye.